Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. First Corinthians 13 here this morning, and if you're just joining with us, uh, so glad that you're able to be with us here this morning. And we've been looking at what Scripture teaches about what spiritual gifts are, how they're supposed to work within the church. And we spent some uh, time here in this major section, the largest section found in Scripture concerning spiritual gifts, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And uh, we went through chapter 12 about Paul, how he confronts the misuse of the spiritual gifts. Uh, explaining their source, how there should be unity, even though there's a lot of diversity. Remember, he gave that whole uh, analogy about the body, how the body's supposed to function together, work together, so that way it can be edified. And then uh, if, you, if you jump to chapter 14, uh, he, he starts talking specifically about uh, certain spiritual gifts and how those gifts are supposed to be used. But sandwiched right in between chapter 12 and chapter 14 is this whole chapter on love. And it's not that Paul decided to just kind of take a detour and be like, hey, I'm going to start talking about love now and get all kind of romantic and mushy on everybody. But he's saying, look, you need to understand that spiritual gifts, how they're supposed to be used within the church, they are supposed to be used with love. And uh, this is where we've been uh, kind of uh, camping here for uh, quite a few weeks. And uh, if you can remember verses 1 and 3, remember we saw how that love is more important than uh, any of the spiritual gifts, right? He talks a lot about that. Um, And he talks about without love, even the most highly prized gifts, which were basically, you know, the speaking in tongues, prophecy, word of knowledge, you know, all those types of things. Uh, He says, even without love, those most highly prized gifts are of no value. Remember, he says, I've become nothing more like a clanging cymbal, crashing cymbal. Um, You know, he says, I am nothing, even if I give my body to be burned, right, uh, that it profits me nothing. So don't misunderstand Paul in all of this, right? Paul's teaching about the gifts. Um, Spiritual gifts are not bad. They're good. They're, They're good for the church. We need them. This is what God has given the church so that the church can be edified. But he's saying, look, without love, these gifts are not useful at all because they're only good for yourself, basically, what ends up happening. And uh, so when spiritual gifts are employed by spiritual Christians, those who walk in love, the gifts they exercise, they're very beautiful. They're helpful. Uh, they, They do wonderful things for the church. Um, and uh, that's why love is one ingredient that can never be absent uh, from the spiritual gifts. Verse 4 and 7, right, we gave that whole description of, spirit, of what love is, right? Love is patient, love is kind, those two positive descriptions of love, followed by seven negative descriptions of what love is not, right? Love is not rude, love uh, does not insist on its own way, so forth and so on. And now here in verses 8 through 13, Paul is going to add this final, uh, if you will, conclusion about love. And he's going to sum up all this stuff about love, everything he's been talking about, why love is important for the spiritual gifts, so forth and so on. And he reasons that love really is superior to all of the spiritual gifts. It's more important than any of the spiritual gifts, in fact. Uh, 
And these verses that we're going to look at today in verses 8 through 13 is an interesting passage and rather difficult to work through because you'll see some of the things that he's talking about here. There's some uh, Bible commentators that have different views on what he is mentioning here about some stuff. And uh, so basically what we're going to do is we're going to walk through each of these verses. Um, and then at the end, I'm going to just give you two summary points about what uh, I believe Paul is trying to hit home here concerning the whole thing about love. So here's what I'd like for you to take away from you, uh, with you today. Love never ends. Make it count for this life and eternity. Love never ends. Make it count for this life and eternity. So let's read our passage here, beginning in verse number 8. So he says here, love never ends. Now this ties in very well uh, when you look at verse number 7, right? When he's talking about uh, things uh, there in verse number 7, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then he says, love never ends. Um, it's long-lasting, it never fails. It always is bearing up. It always has faith, always has hope, always endures. In other words, love does not die. It continues on and on and on. Uh, the one thing that I can think of, remember those commercials with the Energizer Bunny? You know, the... It just keeps going and going and going and going. Um, so he says love is eternal. That's what Paul is trying to get across to us here. Love never dies. Now look how Paul contrasts this eternal, never-ending love that does not come to an end with that that will end. Look what he says continuing in verse number 8 here. Love never ends, but now he's going to contrast with some things that will end. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So three things, right? Prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. Now these things aren't just random things here. Why does he say prophecy, tongues, and knowledge? Because these were the most highly prized spiritual gifts that these Corinthian believers really prided themselves in. Look what I have. Look what I can do. Look what I can say, right? And they really prided themselves. And Paul's trying to say, listen, you're missing the point. Love is never going to end. But your prophecies, your tongues, your knowledge, it's all going to end. It's all going to pass away. It's all going to come to an end. And uh, really, you think about these spiritual gifts, you know, they're... They're, they're really important. And what do all those things have to do with? Prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. They have to do with communicating God's truth. Wouldn't you say that communicating God's truth is very important? I would. But Paul says, you're missing the point. Even though you're communicating God's truth without love, it's nothing, right? You're, it, it's not benefiting anybody. And he says, love is going to endure forever. But all these other things, they're going to pass away. And so he's trying to help them understand that without love, these gifts, prophecy, tongues, and even knowledge, 
They are of no benefit to the one using them and to the one who is supposedly being served by them as well. Now notice he says these gifts will pass away. And I've mentioned before that this is one of the main verses that uh, people that hold to cessationism, meaning that certain gifts have ceased. There's continuationists, ones that believe that all the gifts continue on and on and on, right? And then there are those that are called cessationists, ones that believe that certain spiritual gifts have already ceased. Now, this is one of the main verses that they use to show and say, well, look, these spiritual gifts have ceased. They're done away with. We don't need them anymore, okay? And so he says here that prophecies, they will pass away, tongues, they will cease, and knowledge, it will pass away. Now, it's interesting here about these certain gifts that will cease it's one thing to say that they will cease but it's another thing to say that they have ceased and see what does paul say here he says that they will cease not that they have ceased so i believe what a lot of people struggle with myself included is you know we we see a lot of abuses with certain spiritual gifts like you can, you can see it, right? You, you find places where people are misusing spiritual gifts and they're not following Scripture and how they're supposed to be used. And we see that and we have a hard time and we say, well, it's hard for me to believe that, you know, tongues or prophecy or even words of wisdom, words of knowledge is still in use today because look how they're being abused, and maybe just because we've never seen a clear biblical example of God actually manifesting himself. Remember, that's one of the keys in, in 1 Corinthians 12. The spiritual gifts are not when we want to do them. Certainly, some of these things is when God manifests himself, right? Not in our wanting and doing. But maybe we've never seen a clear example of biblical uses of tongues or biblical uses of prophecy. And because we've never seen that, sometimes people kind of conclude and they say, well, obviously there's so much abuse with this stuff, so therefore I'm sure these things have ceased, they have ended. Uh, so we got to make sure that we remember what, what does the scripture say? And scripture says that they will cease, doesn't say that they have ceased. So the main point of this text is saying there's going to come a time when spiritual gifts are no more. I do believe that spiritual gifts will come to an end, but not in this life, but in the next. And hopefully you'll see that as we'll see the emphasis on eternity that just kind of oozes out of this passage that, that, uh, that we'll look at here. So the logical question then is, so when will these gifts pass away? If, if, if they're not going to end now, love is going to endure forever, and if these certain spiritual gifts are not going to end now, when will they end? When will they pass away? Well, verses 9 and 10, I believe, answer that question for us. So take a look at verses 9 and 10. Paul says here, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. Now that's an interesting statement. What does he mean by that? We know in part, and we prophesy in part. Paul gives us the reason for this passing away or this end of the spiritual gifts in these verses. Spiritual gifts are not permanent because they are not perfect. Because this is what he says. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So spiritual gifts are not perfect. 
They're imperfect. And he says there's going to come a time when they will pass away because the perfect will come. Again, this is another verse that people that uh, are uh, cessationists like to use because they say, well, look, he's talking here about the perfect coming. He's talking about the, the fulfillment that all of Scripture now, we have the complete written revelation of God now. So we don't need certain spiritual gifts anymore. But he's not talking about that because, again, if you look at the context, what he's talking about, it has to do with eternity. And so I do believe that, yes, we do have Scripture, all of Scripture, every Scripture that we need. And if people are adding to Scripture, that's wrong. If people are taking away from Scripture, that's wrong. But God's Word here talks about spiritual gifts and the use of them, and they are beneficial to the church. But he says there's going to come a time when the imperfect will pass away because the perfect has come. You know, Peter writes of the prophets of old who spoke of the sufferings and the glories of the Messiah who was yet to come and whose own writings puzzled them because they were incomplete. And, you know, when we think about prophecy, uh, you know, prophecy in of itself is not totally complete. There's some things that you still don't see. Best illustration that I can give you of this is if you take your hand, okay, and you hold it in front of you like this, and you're looking straight down the middle of it, what do you see? If you say your hand, I'm going to slap you. <laughs> what do you see? Can you see everything in between your fingers? You can't. You might be able to see certain tips or parts of it, but you can't see the whole thing. But if you turn it this way, now you can see up and down, up and down, up and down. But if you hold it like this, you can't see everything. And that's kind of like what prophecy is. Prophecy doesn't give us the whole picture. There's some things that are not complete. And so even when the Old Testament prophets write and wrote, there are things that they talk about, but we don't get the whole picture. Even Paul himself, when he was writing about stuff, and he's revealing some of these things to us. He's like, some of this stuff was hidden. We didn't understand it, but now we do understand it. And so there's things that when we talk about Certain spiritual gifts, they're imperfect. But the perfect is coming. And when it does come, all those other things are going to pass away. And so the prophets of old were used of God to reveal all that God wanted us to know, but not all there is to know, nor all that we would like to know. And so when the perfect comes, the imperfect will no longer be necessary the imperfect will be done away with. This is another uh, way that we can look at this and, and understand that God is not through, right? He, he's still at work and he's still doing certain things uh, in our life and in the life of the church. And so we need to understand that, yes, these certain spiritual gifts, they will pass away when the perfect comes. So these gifts will be obsolete and unnecessary when our Lord comes. You say, well, how do you know that it has to deal with the fact of Jesus coming and not just Scripture, uh, the whole canon of Scripture coming? Well, because I believe in the context, Paul, the next verse he talks about is face-to-face, -face, right? Being face-to-face. -face. And we will know God face-to-face. -face. We'll know him fully, as what uh, Paul talks about and so I believe that these gifts will be unnecessary when our Lord returns 
And uh, when he comes to establish his kingdom, and we will see things for really what they are. And so to explain this idea of the imperfect passing away, Paul's going to give us two illustrations to help us grasp this point of the imperfect versus the perfect. The imperfect passing away and the perfect coming, right? So let's look here at uh, verse number 11 at this first illustration that he gives. He says this, When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. So here's the first illustration. Child versus man. Child versus man. There's a difference, right? Now you see it there? Three things. What does he say? Thought, spoke, and reasoned. Does a child speak, think, and reason different from a person who is mature? Yes. He's trying to help us understand. Here is the imperfect, and here's the perfect. As a child... I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. For all of us in here who've had children right now, or maybe you've had children growing up in the home, you can remember your children at a certain time before they could actually speak full sentences. They had little words that they would use to tell you what they wanted. And you'd be like, oh, that's so cute, right? They would say certain little things to, to let you know, this is what I want, this is what, I'm, this is what I'm desiring. You know, maybe it's food, maybe it's I want this or I want that. They had little ways that they said it, and then you knew just being by around them, you're going, oh yeah, they want this, they want that. And as those children grew, you began to teach them and help them understand, okay, this is how we speak, this is how we say things. I mean, if, you're, if your full-grown son or uh, a daughter now is still using gibberish, like, what are you going to say? What's wrong with you, right? Why are you talking like that? You don't need to speak like that, okay? He's trying to help them understand that here's the imperfect, and now the perfect has come. And so when we think about this, there's this growing up process like a child, spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. And so Paul is trying to help them understand, when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Sometimes we use this verse, and I've used this verse to, to talk about people who are being immature, right? Um, but that's not what he's talking about, even though it has that context. But he's talking about spiritual gifts passing away. He says there's going to come a time when these gifts are no longer needed because these were childish and now we're fully grown. And so we'd give up childish ways. And so there's a time and a place for an appropriate level of knowledge, speaking and reasoning. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. When the perfect comes, the partial is going to pass away. And so here's what he's saying. These amazing spiritual gifts that are a benefit to the church, are for a particular period. They're good and they're right in their time, but there's going to come a time where you are going to leave all those behind because the perfect will come. You're not going to need these amazing spiritual gifts because you're going to be with God. You're not going to need this anymore. But you know what you are going to need? 
You know what's going to continue on forever and ever and ever? Love. It's never going to end. So he says, these things are going to pass away. You're not going to need them anymore. But you are going to need love. That's why love is so important with the use of spiritual gifts. Because it's not only for this time, but it's also for eternity. That's what this passage is all about. So then Paul gives us another illustration to really drive this home. Look here at the second illustration that he gives in verse number 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So here's the second illustration he gives. Mirror versus face to face. There's a difference. There's a difference between looking at something in a mirror versus being face to face. Now this illustration, I, I believe, kind of loses some of its punch for us today because mirrors today are so much better than those of the, in the day of Paul. The kind of mirrors that they used back in those days were actually metal. They were bronze mirrors. So they would take a piece of metal, put a piece of stick on it, say, okay, here you go, here's your mirror. Right? These mirrors, they, they had to be polished. And if you ever look in, into a piece of metal that's been polished, yes, you can see a reflection. And we got things to polish stuff up today. I mean, we got like electric you know, buffers and stuff, and you can get a really nice shine to certain things. Right? But they didn't have electric buffers back then, right? So these mirrors that they would give, it would give an image, but that image was distorted. Yes, it, it, there was a reflection there, but it really wasn't clear. You couldn't really see it, all that you really needed to see. And you think, you know, if anybody has uh, brass, you know what happens to brass? Tarnishes, right? And you've got to shine it up again. You got to continue to shine it up, right? And so here's these mirrors, and they got to keep shining them and to make sure they can still see that reflection there. And so you'd have this shiny piece of bronze, and, and over time, that bronze would lose its luster. And so the mirrors that these people were used to looking at were distorted. They gave a real image as a real reflection, but it wasn't crystal clear. They really couldn't see into it. It wasn't like seeing someone, as Paul says, face to face. That, that phrase there, face to face, it's actually a Hebrew phrase. And literally it means cheek to cheek. Peck to peck, mouth to mouth. Okay? It's kind of like this. James, can I borrow you real quick? So Paul's trying to help us understand that, okay, here's this mirror. We're looking at in a reflection. It's distorted. It's not perfect. It's imperfect. But he says there's going to come a time that there's going to be a passing away of that. And then there's going to be a perfect image. What is that image going to be? It's going to be God himself. We're going to be able to see God face to face, right? And so it's like this. You know, we think about like face to face. You think about like Moses. Remember Moses, right? He's up there on the mountain. And he's communicating with God. Now, Moses couldn't see God face to face. Nobody could see God's glory and live. And so what happened? God hid Moses in the cleft of the rock, right? Passed by him. He said, when I pass by, you'll be able to see the hand parts of me. 
When Moses came down off that mountain, what happened to his face? Shining, he was, he was glowing, right? What did Moses do? He put a veil over his face, right? And so in eternity, think about this, in eternity, when all the imperfect is passed away, in eternity, we will be able to behold God face to face. Think about that. To see God face to face. That's amazing, right? Thanks, James. So he's trying to help him understand the imperfect is passing away because Christ is coming. His kingdom's going to be established. We're going to be able to see God face to face. And so that is what it's like right now in this church age. We're looking into a mirror dimly. We don't fully grasp everything. We're not fully aware of the whole picture. We see a little image, but it's not completely clear. And notice he adds these words in this. Look what he says. Now I know in part, then I shall know, know fully, even as I have been fully known. And so this idea is there's going to come a time when the image is perfect. We're going to get to a place where all of us who know Christ will be in a perfect place. All of our spiritual gifts, as helpful as they were, they are nothing compared to the perfect that is coming. That's something to look forward to. And so that's why love is so important, because it's going to endure forever. So use love, something that's eternal, in your use of spiritual gifts. Because it's good for now, but it's also good for eternity. All of your prophecies, tongues, words of knowledge, wisdom, as helpful as they were, in giving us these little glimpses of God, right? Guess what? You won't need them anymore because you will see God face to face. So don't focus on this present. Look forward to eternity. Don't place all the emphasis on how gifted you are because it's going to pass away, right? And we're going to see God face to face. So these believers were very prideful and thought too much of themselves and as if they were the only spiritual ones in the church because of the spiritual gifts that they had. And I think we still see that today in, in, in churches. Um, sometimes, you know, God has gifted us or gifted certain individuals, and sometimes we think, boy, uh, only those people are the spiritual ones, right? That's pride. That's, that's arrogance, thinking that without me, the church will not function. <clears throat> Sorry, right? Church is not about you. It's about Jesus, right? It's his church. He died for it, right? And so we need to understand that these things are passing away, but the perfect is coming. And so that's what Paul is trying to get at. Uh, and this is very often misunderstood. And I think that's why verse 13 is really even harder sometimes to, to look at um, and understand. So let's, let's take a look at it here, verse uh, 13. So verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. So Paul takes it one step further to really drive his home his point here now, okay? The imperfect is passing away, the perfect is coming, right? And he declares that love is not only better than any or all of the spiritual gifts, but that it is even greater now than what? Faith and hope, because faith and hope will pass away as well. Only love is going to endure forever. Think about that. Think about faith and you think about hope. 
right? Faith, hope, and love all abide, but the greatest is love. Why is love greater than faith and hope? Is faith and hope not eternal? Will we not need faith and hope in eternity? Faith is written in the epistle uh, in Hebrews 11.1. 1, it says, is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. Remember I gave you the, the illustration about if I talk to my daughter and I say, hey, we're going on a trip. Faith believes that we're going to go on a trip. Hope is the anticipation waiting for it, right? Like we haven't gone on the trip yet, but I've said we're going on the trip. So there's this, this anticipation, right? There's this belief, yes. We are going to do this. God has given us his promises. He says, this is what is going to happen. This is what's going to take place. And we are anticipating it. There's this hope. There's this eager expectation of that happening, even though we don't see it yet. Romans 8, 24 through 25 speaks of hope. It says, for in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Certainly, faith and hope is necessary in this life, right? We need it, but in eternity, we're not going to need it. Why? Because the imperfect has passed away, and what are we doing now? We are beholding God face to face. We're seeing him face to face, cheek to cheek, right? Mouth to mouth, we're seeing him. We don't need faith, we don't need hope. But you know what we do need? Love. Now, this is, this, 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 is, this is wild, okay? Does God need faith? No. Why doesn't God need faith? Because he knows everything from the beginning and the end, right? You are God, right? There's, there's no one like him. He doesn't need faith. Does God need hope? No. Does God need love? Yes. Why? Because God is love. Right? 1 John 4, right? All these things. 1 John 4, God exemplifies and shows us what love is. This is why love is the greatest. So here's two main points I want you to grasp, and I, and I think Paul is trying to help us understand from this whole chapter here about love and the importance of them, okay? Here they are. Point number one, love is to be a priority. This truth, I, I believe, is not unique to Paul. The teaching of the entire Old Testament and our Lord Jesus can be summed up by one word. What is that? Love, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, right? And love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22, 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they gathered themselves together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, Teacher, which is the, the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Romans 13, 8 through 10. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. The entire teaching of the Old Testament and Jesus is summed up by that one word, love. In the last words of our Lord to his disciples, he repeatedly spoke of the importance of love. We see this in John 13, 34 through 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one another. John 15, 12 through 13, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. John 15, 17, this I command you, that you love one another. We also see that love was the goal of Paul's instruction in 1 Timothy 1.5. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. We also see love as a dominant theme in Peter's epistles and John's. Peter refers to love as the highest level of Christian growth, and Paul speaks of it as the basis for edification. Listen to what 1 Peter 1, 22-23 says. Since you have, have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and abiding word of God. 1 John 4, 7-11. through 11, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7. Now for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to persevere the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I think we would all agree that love, right, is to be a high priority for the Christian. I think we really like the idea of love, you know, the whole thing of, yeah, I, I really want to show love towards others, and I want people to show love to me. I think we like the idea of that, and we like what the scriptures say and teach, and we all like to sniff out, I believe, when we believe that people are not showing us love or being loving, you know, but I believe that as much as we like this, are we really, are we honestly, are we really making love as outlined in this chapter, chapter 13, a priority in our lives? I mean, we like it. We, we like everything that it says about it, right? Love is patient, love is kind. Love doesn't do this, love doesn't do that, love doesn't do that. Are we really making that a priority in our life? Or is it just we like the idea of it? If I'm honest, I like the idea of it. And there are many times that I'm deficient in actually exercising biblical love. That's why God gives us this stuff, right? 
to show us, to reveal to us that we really need it. So if it's so important, why are we not making it a priority? That's what Paul here is trying to help this church at Corinth with. Love is so quickly and easily lost. If love is so important, I mean, certainly love was lacking here at the church at Corinth, right? The church at Ephesus, right? We see in Revelation, John talks about it. He addresses the church at Ephesus. And he says, you do all this stuff, right? He says, you, you, you are... Um, you won't tolerate certain things in the church, and you are, you are uh, examining those that say that they're apostles, and yet they're not. You're, not. you're not allowing false teaching to go on in the church. He says, on the outward, I mean, everything looks good, but he says, I have some things against you, the Lord Jesus says. He says, you have left your first love. So love is easily lost, and I believe that's why we ought to make it a priority uh, in our lives. So how will I know if I'm making love a priority? Well, that leads us here to the second point. Here it is. Love is to be pursued. If we want to make love a priority, then we're going to have to pursue after it. We will only make love a priority if we are pursuing. So how does one pursue love? Well, let me summarize briefly that which I believe God's word has a lot to say here about this. So here's some interesting points about this. Okay, how are we going to pursue love? Begin by taking an accurate inventory of love in your own life. Use 1 Corinthians 13 as a measuring stick. Am I this? If you look at what love is and what love is not, am I living up to those standards? And 1 Corinthians 13 is not the only place. There's several other places, even a lot of the passages that we just read about love. So begin by taking an accurate inventory. If I'm going to pursue after love, I'm going to have to look and notice where am I deficient in. And then I'm going to have to make some changes. And so we're going to have to get a good understanding if I'm actually doing these things. One of the things that we gain from God's word is an accurate definition of what love is. Don't be... Uh, duped into thinking that love is this mushy, gushy, ooey-gooey feeling type stuff, okay? Love is action, people, okay? It's not just about you feeling good, okay? Love often says no. Love often calls out sin. Love often sits there and warns people. That's what love does, Okay? And so we got to get away from this idea of what the world says love is, and we got to get back to what the biblical definition of what love is. Okay? So are we accurately pursuing after love? And use 1 Corinthians 13, I believe, as a measuring stick of that. Next, allow God's word to expose our sinful tendencies and lack of love and repent. Repent means to change your thinking, changing your mind of how you think, okay? That's the whole idea of Romans 12, right? Transforming our minds through the word of God. Change your thinking. So this is what God's word says is my thinking lining up with God's word. And when you start to think biblically, guess what? You're going to start acting biblically, okay? So you got to change your thinking. you got to repent. you got to change your thinking. Here's the next one. Obey God's word by renewing your mind, part of repentance, changing your thinking, and living out the truth of 
God's word. And so, having recognized our lack of love and repented of this deficiency, we must now look to God alone, okay, as the source of love. And so, we got to obey God's word. This is what God's word says I'm supposed to be, be behaving like and acting like. Keep the gospel front and center as your aim. So when we get a, a good picture of love according to what God's word says, the, the, the best place that we can find that displayed for us is the gospel. That's why I say the gospel affects every area of our life. The gospel is not just for, oh, I need Jesus and I got to repent of my sins and believe in the gospel and get saved. The gospel is ongoing. It's continual process. It's acting in the gospel. Husbands, how should we treat our wives? Just the same way that Christ loved the church, right? There's the gospel. He gave himself sacrificially up for the church, right? We get a picture of that through the gospel, right? So the gospel affects every area of our life, or it should affect every area of our life. And so we ought to keep the gospel front and center. And as we meditate on the gospel, it will allow its reality to transform how we behave. Here's the next one. Build community with other believers where gospel living challenges us to speak into others' lives in love and point out where we may be deficient. This is so important. You have to build community with other believers in Christ. You cannot do it on your own. If you're just kind of on your own, you know, no man is an island, you know, you're kind of on your own, you're like, I got this, I'm going to do it all by myself. If you are not being challenged by other believers speaking truth into your life in love, you're going to have a hard time growing. Oh yeah, you can grow. But if you're not allowing other believers to speak into your life, it's going to be hard and difficult for you. And so build community with other believers where gospel living challenges you as a believer. And this is the whole part of confessing our sins one to another, right? So we may pray for one another. And so I think it's important for us to do that. So how about you? How about me? Are we pursuing after love? Are we making love a priority? I believe this is what Paul is really trying to hit home to all these believers here at Corinth. And to understand, these spiritual gifts are passing away. Love is only going to endure forever. So you need to make it a priority here because it will last forever in eternity. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.